morning, Antioch Brighton. I'm Clark Zombreaker, and I get to serve as the Director of Ministry at Antioch Brighton. And I get to be a part of the Sunday Afternoon Watertown Life Group. So today I'll be sharing part four of our four-part series in Deuteronomy entitled Courageous Generosity. And so we're going to review what we've learned so far. So first off, Deuteronomy means, that's right, second law. You guys have heard that a lot over the last few weeks. Um, The book of Deuteronomy records a second telling of the law. The first time the law was given, it was given to the generation that was uh, delivered out of Egypt. Um, delivered from slavery. The second time it was given, it was it was being given to a new generation. And this new generation, they were the grown children of the first generation who were about to enter the promised land for the first time, a land that would be their very own, a land that was abundant in resource, where they would live in peace and prosperity as they trusted in God. So the first week, we looked at the first half of Deuteronomy 8, where God was reminding Israel of their history. God reminded them of how he taught them in the wilderness that he was their sole provider. He was their source. Their life did not ultimately depend on bread. It depended on the bread giver. And the second week, we looked at the the second half of chapter 8 in Deuteronomy, and we saw why it was so important that Israel remembered the lesson that God had taught them in the wilderness. And God was leading them to a, a land that was so bountiful, so abundant in resources, um, that if at some point when they got used to their new prosperous life, that they ha- if they happened to forget that it all came from God, um, and they said to themselves, you know, as they looked around at all the, the provision, they said, whoa, our own smarts and our own strength got us all this wealth. Way to go. Let's pat ourselves on the back. So if that were to happen, Israel would turn away from the true source, from God. They would turn inwardly to themselves or to the gods uh, in the nations that surrounded them. And God, they would forget God and they would forget his covenant and things would go very, very badly for them. So last week, we looked at the system of courageous generosity that God gave Israel in order to meet some of the very practical needs in society, namely the needs of those who worked full-time in the maintenance and ministry of Israel's religious life, and to the needs of those in the land that were vulnerable. However, we saw that this system of courageous generosity that God gave Israel met not only a practical need in the society, but it also met a spiritual need in the hearts of the Israelites. So the tithes and the generous practices they were instructed to perform were to serve as reminders to Israel of all that God had done for them and that he and not them were their provider. God's system of courageous generosity was to serve as a safeguard to protect their relationship with him. So, this morning, we are going to look again at this system of courageous generosity that God gave Israel. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, take note of four specific characteristics. And we're going to also consider what relevance these characteristics have for us today as we practice courageous generosity. Okay, so um, look with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26, and we're going to look at verse 1 through 3. And so this passage 
is describing, Moses is describing to Israel how, what, what their, their offerings should look like, where they should go, um, uh, what, what are some of the characteristics of, of when they're bringing their tithes and contributions to Jerusalem. And so here we go, verse 1 through 3, Deuteronomy 26. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you've conquered it and settled there, Put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Okay, we're going to jump over verse 4 through 9 and go to verse 10. But basically, verse 4 through 9, you can I encourage you to read it. But it, it's, it's instructing them, hey, bring it before the Lord. And this is what you're to say. You're to say, God, you're our deliverer. You're our provider. Okay. And then here, here's verse 10. We're going to read the, the, the last bit of this prayer. They were to pray as they brought their offerings to the Lord in Jerusalem. Here we go. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Here's the deal. Israel's system of courageous generosity was connected to worship. So, I don't know about you, but when I pay my income income taxes in April or when I pay my oil provider for filling up my tank in the winter, it is a business transaction, okay? But when I give to the things that are in God's heart, namely the building of his church, the expansion of his kingdom, uh, the care for the needy, it's not a business transaction. It is a relational transaction, okay? So how is this relevant to us? Um, well, we see this very characteristic practiced in the New Testament. Um, if you look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, here's some background for this passage. Jerusalem had experienced a famine, and the predominantly Jewish church was experiencing some hardships as a result, naturally. And Paul had invited the predominantly Gentile churches in the rest of the known world to, to give an offering to assist these Jewish believers. And here Paul, in this chapter, he's telling the Corinthian believers how the churches in Macedonia responded to this opportunity to give. Paul says, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So Paul's saying the Macedonians, when they were presented with this opportunity to give, the very first thing they did is they gave themselves to the Lord. Okay, they gave themselves to the Lord first because this was a relational transaction, not a business transaction. They gave themselves to the Lord saying, Lord, we are yours. All that we have, all that, all that we, we have, all that we ever will have, it belongs to you, Lord. And so how would you have us participate in this offering? And then out of that place, they gave to the offering. So it was a relational transaction. So courageous generosity, it is an outward sign of this inward reality. And so similarly, uh, to is similar to Israel's courageous generosity, our courageous generosity is to be connected to worship. Okay, let's look at our next one. This is going to be verse 11 um, of our Deuteronomy 26 passage that we looked at. Here it goes. 
Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. So the second characteristic of Israel's system of courageous generosity is related to the first characteristic that we just looked at, but it's worthy of its own uh, being, being, uh, being mentioned by itself. And here's what it is. Israel's courageous generosity was exercised with joy. Okay? So again, how is this relevant to us under the New Covenant? Well, if we look at uh, 2 Corinthians 9, this is the same uh, uh, chunk of, of Scripture from 2 Corinthians that we looked at just a couple minutes ago. But he says, Paul says to the Corinthians, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, courageous generosity is joyful because it flows from a heart that knows that it has a heavenly father who loves him or her dearly and is committed to providing. Okay? And so, that courageous generosity is accompanied with joy. So similar to Israel's system of courageous generosity, our courageous generosity is to be connected to worship and exercised with joy. All right, let's look at the next verse of Deuteronomy 26. This is verse 12. Moses says, When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So, this is just one of the the number of verses in Deuteronomy and other places in the Old Testament that tells us what the Israelites were giving to when they made their tithes and offerings and contributions and all that. So, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we see that the practical purpose of their system of courageous generosity was twofold. It provided for the ministry within God's tabernacle, which was the center of religious activity. And it provided for the poor and the vulnerable in the land. Now, Israel's courageous generosity wasn't random. It wasn't just, the goal wasn't just, let's just get rid of money. Just run around, you know, the country with the basket and just throw wads of, you know, shekels out or whatever <laughs> to, to whoever we see. Um, no, no. Their courageous generosity was strategically aligned with God's interests and purposes. It was strategically aligned with God's heart. And we see the same characteristic of generosity in the New Testament. We see in this 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that we, we looked at a few minutes ago, we see that the church was giving, they were aiming their courageous generosity at the poor, the vulnerable, those who were, were, were suffering because of the famine. We see in the book of Philippians that the way that the Philippian church had supported, they had aimed their courageous generosity towards Paul's mission of expanding the gospel into new regions. Uh, we see in, in uh, Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, that he was encouraging Timothy for the church to aim their courageous generosity towards uh, providing for those who labored in the oversight and the building of the local church. 
And so in the New Testament, courageous generosity is strategically aligned with God's interests, building the church, taking the gospel into new areas, and caring for the needy. So similar to Israel's courageous generosity, our courageous generosity is to be connected to worship, it's to be exercised with joy, and it is to be strategic. All right, another characteristic we see in Deuteronomy 26.12, which will be the final characteristic that we look at today, is that Israel's courageous generosity was proportionate. Okay, We read in this passage and other, others in Deuteronomy and others in the Old Testament, this concept of a tithe. Okay, Tithe is just a word that means 10%, though you probably did not learn that in math class. But tithe simply means 10%. And so the system of courageous generosity that God gave Israel was structured in such a way that each person would give in proportion to what they had. It it wasn't a flat rate, okay? Now, God's much wiser and smarter than than I am, and so uh, there are probably a a, a number of reasons why God chose to do it this way. But here's one reason, I believe. So, a, a flat rate, if, if God's command was for everyone to give a flat rate to him, you know, as, as the offering, that, that flat rate to some people would be incredibly burdensome. And on the other hand, to some people, it would be like a crumb. It wouldn't be meaningless and worthless. And so because the, the, the offerings, the tithes were proportionate um, generally speaking, the the gifts had the same weight regardless of who you were. And so we see this in the New Testament as, as well. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12. Paul says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. That is great news. Um Paul is instructing the Corinthians to give according to or in proportion to what they have, not what they don't have. Now, this is the very reason why Jesus was knocked off of his feet, figuratively, when he saw the widow in the Gospels place this very small amount of money in the temple offering. It blew him away because he knew it was all she had. He wasn't looking at what she didn't have. He wasn't looking at the, the, the Pharisee in front of her who gave a hundred times what she gave. No, he was looking at what she had to give. And so we give proportionately. Often when, when this idea of tithe is mentioned, uh, often we might find ourselves asking, well, does that's the Old Testament? Does that apply in the New Testament? Are we supposed to give a tithe of our income to the church? So here is how I approach addressing this question. First, when it comes to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, a principle that I see and the principle by which I live is that the old covenant is not my ceiling. It is my floor. And here's what I mean. The old covenant says, 
thou shall not murder. Okay, right? But Jesus says, don't even harbor anger in your heart. Okay? Old, Te- Old Covenant says, do not commit adultery. Awesome. I must be an incredible husband. My goal is I'm just not going to commit adultery. And that's going to make me a great, that's going to mean I'm a rock star husband. No. Jesus takes it to the next level and says, don't even entertain lustful thoughts in your heart. You see, the old covenant is not our ceiling. My ceiling is not, don't, if I don't murder, I'll be a decent, decent guy. You know, if I don't commit adultery, I'll be a good husband. No, that is my floor. That is my starting line, not my finish line. And so similarly, when it comes to courageous generosity, I, 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 I do not look, and I don't believe we are to look to the Old Covenant as our ceiling, but we look at it as our floor. So many consider tithing, so basically the giving the 10% to the local church, they consider that to be the training wheels of generosity, the training wheels of giving. And and I I, I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. Um, so I love the way John Piper, uh, a, a kind of a famous pastor says it. He says, uh, we are to move toward the tithe and beyond. Okay. So, um, the tithe is not necessarily my ceiling. So here's the second thing I want to, I want to mention when I, whenever I find myself asking the question, how much am I supposed to give more often than not? I'm not asking this because I'm afraid of giving more and God wants me to. Okay. Usually if I'm asking this, it's because I want to know what is the bare minimum I can give to this and still be obedient or still be in, you know? And I just want to say, let's be careful there because that is not courageous generosity. So similar to Israel's system of courageous generosity, our courageous generosity is to be connected to worship. It's to be exercised with joy. It is to be strategically aligned with God's heart. And it is to be proportionate. Now, I'm going to shoot straight with you. Antioch Brighton is an incredibly, courageously generous church. And God is continuing to make us an even truer reflection of his courageous generosity. And even more than the practical needs that are met by our courageous generosity, we have a spiritual need that is met by walking in courageous generosity. There's a depth of intimacy with God and each other that is cultivated as we walk in courageous generosity. And so I want to invite you today to commit to either beginning or continuing to grow in your journey of courageous generosity. Now, I realize that for some of us, and maybe even many of us, it's not as simple of a matter as as just deciding to be more generous. So some of us may have massive debt that we're trying to pay off. Some of us, uh, maybe we've never learned the skills of how to manage money. Um, And we've, you know, gotten in trouble because of it. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. But if if you're in this camp that I'm describing, I would say, I would encourage you, commit to doing 
whatever you need to do for you to be the one who's in control of where your money goes. Okay. Now, this new year in January, we're going to be offering an eight week course called Realign. That is for you. And I want you to look at the weekly MailChimp for information. It's going to be before the service. It's going to be virtual. And it is going to be a very practical class about finances and skills, getting out of debt, making budget. Um, a great, great class. Okay. So I want you to commit to doing what needs to be done for you to get back control of your money. But then also I want to encourage you this way. Don't wait to get everything in order to start living generously. You can start living generously now. Okay, so here's how we're going to respond this morning. We're going to, first of all, we're going to thank Jesus. We're going to thank the Father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you provide for us. You care for us, okay? Next, we're going we're gonna to spend some time praying and asking, God, how, would you, how are you inviting us? How are you inviting me to grow in generosity this next year? Specifically, as it relates to giving to the passion in Jesus' heart, to see the gospel and his kingdom go forward through this local church. If this is your home, this is your community. So we are all in process and we're all growing and we're all at different places. But what does your next step in courageous generosity look like? We are going to use these commitment cards that we, we use every year in response to our finance message. And, and if you are at home and you don't have a card, I want you to go to the link in the description of this video and click on it. And you can find the card, a soft copy, and you can print it out. Fill out the card. Write your name and, uh, on an, uh, and address on an envelope. Put it in the, make sure, you know, put it in the return address area of the envelope and then mail it to the church's address, which is also in this link, also in the link. So two important things. Your eyes are the only eyes who will ever see this, this commitment card that you're writing, unless you choose to share it with people. Okay. When you mail it in, it is going to be kept sealed and it's going to be put in a drawer and it's going to be sent to you sometime next year. And we send these out just as a reminder is to re to revisit what the Lord what you believe the Lord is speaking to you today, okay? Now secondly, the second thing to remember or to know is that this is not a solemn vow. This is simply a way to record what you sense God is inviting you into and he can redirect you in the future. And yet, we do take this seriously. We do take every way that we respond in faith to what we believe God is saying. And so, bless you, Antioch Brighton. I look forward to continuing to walk and grow in courageous generosity with you in the, the days to come.